This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. From the pen of the Apostle Paul, we find these words. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Ten years ago, on this morning, our national consciousness was jolted by an act of terror of unprecedented um, dimension. Probably you remember right where you were when you heard the news that a, a plane had hit World Trade Center Tower Number 1. And you probably remember the shock and horror when you heard that another plane had hit Tower Number 2. Little did we know that the worst was yet to come those towers would eventually collapse, taking with them the lives of 2,587 innocent people and 19 not-so-innocent hijackers. In all, 2,699 people would die on that day in three separate acts of terror. Ten years ago today, Our nation was changed forever. If you're like me, you resonate with that bumper sticker that says, we will never what? We will never forget. So on this morning, it would be good for us as American citizens, as people that God has placed in this country, it would be good for us to pause and remember and pray. Would you join with me as we pray, as Paul said, for kings, for our nation, so that we can live quiet and peaceable lives. Let's pray together. Father, we lift up to you our nation this morning. Looking back, we're reminded of day after day of freedom and peace that we often take for granted without a single thought for the lives of those that were spent to purchase that freedom for us. So on this day, we pray that you would bring to the surface a deeper appreciation for those who have perished that we could enjoy freedom. And Lord, we pray for the families of every single person who perished on that day. For this day will have its own private pain for them. Lord, would you comfort them on this day and give them the reassurance that their loved ones actually did not perish on that day, but that there is an eternity in which they will live forever, an eternity where terror is not permitted. And Lord, our prayer is that they will not have died in vain, that we will indeed remember the lessons we were taught that day as a nation. And Lord, we pray for our military personnel, not just from this country, but from all countries, who are scattered around the world and 
most of whom are there to protect the peace of the world. We pray not only for their protection, but we pray for peace for all people so that we can live quiet lives that are free from the kind of disruption that we all experienced 10 years ago and that our lives would be marked by godliness. So on this day, Lord, we bring to you our nation, we bring to you the families, and we bring to you our world. And we ask that you would rule over them with love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Ron, and I'm New Life's uh, senior pastor. And I get to teach you for a few minutes. But before I launch into what I'm going to teach you about, I have one other thing I want to highlight. And that is, there is a very special festival that's coming up this Saturday. It's in Rohnert Park, and it's sponsored by a Christian organization called Crossing the Jordan. And uh, these are people who have a heart for a group of people in our county that need someone to stand up for them. And uh, they are putting on this festival to raise money so that they can provide housing for women and children who have been forced out of their homes because of domestic violence and abuse. And they have a heart that those women and children don't end up on the street. And so they are putting together housing for them. Is that a great cause? That's an awesome cause, all right? The festival is going to be fun. There's going to be Christian bands there, a number of them. They're really good bands. There'll be a great time. There's going to be jump houses and all sorts of things. It's sort of like a fair kind of a thing. And so uh, they're raising funds, $10 a ticket. We have with us, you'll see them afterwards out at the Activity Hub. Uh, We have um, Dana and Angela, two of the event coordinators, are going to be here so you can ask questions of them. They're going to be selling tickets. And even if you can't come to the festival, if you want to make a donation, obviously that's welcome too because the goal is to, to keep these women and children off of the streets. So we want to support them in every way we can. The festival is this coming Saturday from 11 till 7 p.m. And now I'm going to give you one, but there's more information in your nutshell, but I'm going to give you one piece of information you won't get at the activities hub and you won't find it in your nutshell either. I'm going to be riding the dunk tank. Yes. From 1230 to one o'clock. So you come and take your best shot. All right. And uh, it's for a great cause. So there you go. And then I'm going to preach at you in two weeks about relationships, all right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Let's talk about relationships this morning. In fact, um, we're jumping into a series, uh, starting a brand new series called Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. And it's really all about relationships. And this morning we're going to talk about, as Kevin said earlier, recovering from relational disaster. And so let's take our, our programs and from our programs pull two things. I want you to pull the card that says start here on one side and it says connect card on the other side because you're going to need that as I teach. And then the second thing I want you to pull out is the teaching notes. And, um, And you'll see that sheet as well. For those of you who are here for the very first time and you've been invited by a friend, um, I want to say a special welcome to you. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, uh, I'm awfully glad you're here this morning. And uh, I have prayed for you that this will be a morning. I know that some of you may have said, 
There's a little fear walking into a place that has a bunch of people that you don't know. I have prayed that, that God will meet you here, that this will be a wonderful morning of, of you really sensing God, God's love for you and care and desire to meet with you. And I've prayed that we as a church will be a place that you feel really welcome and at home. So uh, welcome aboard for the journey. Um, I brought a top 10 list with me. I don't profess to be David Letterman, but are you ready for a top 10 list? All right, here we go. Top 10 list of my favorite marriage quips. Number 10, marriages, they say, are made in heaven. But then again, so are thunder and lightning. (laughs) Number nine, an old saying goes like this. A man is incomplete until he gets married. After that, he's finished. (laughs) Number eight. Marriage life can be frustrating. The first year, the husband speaks and the wife listens. The second year, the wife speaks and the husband listens. After that, they both speak and only the neighbors listen. (laughs) Number seven. Marriage is when a man and a woman become as one. The trouble starts when they try to decide which one. (laughs) Here's one I know you've heard before. Marriage is grand. A divorce, a hundred grand. (laughs) That's terrible, isn't it? That's really terrible. Number five. When a man opens the door of his car for his wife, you can be sure of one thing. Either the car or the wife is new. (laughs) That's pretty funny, right? (laughs) Number four. Every man wants a wife who is beautiful, understanding, economical. However, the law allows only one wife. Sorry, ladies. (laughs) Guys, you got it. Here it comes. Every woman wants a husband who is handsome, understanding and also economical, and a considerate lover. But again, the law allows only one husband. (laughs) Number two, before marriage, a man will lie awake all night thinking about something you said. After marriage, he will fall asleep before you finish talking. (laughs) (laughs) and number one if you want your spouse to listen and pay close attention to everything you say you ready start talking in your sleep (laughs) so there you have it you know as i as i was going through those and and thinking about relational disaster. You know, there's a, there's a kernel of truth in every one of those. You probably figured that out. But every one of those also has a surprise ending because oftentimes what we think of when we get into, into a relationship isn't necessarily what we encounter along the way. So this morning, we launch in to this series. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to move quickly through a story. You see, the Bible is a book 
filled with the truth about life. It tells the stories of real people. You only have to get to be about page three or four in the Bible before you find the story of the world's first murder. And it was a murder that resulted in sibling rivalry between two brothers, Cain and Abel, and it ended when one of them killed the other. Would that make the headlines of even our papers today? Yeah, sure it would. That's scandal. That's big time. Human nature hasn't really changed much. You fast forward just a few pages and you come to the story of two twin brothers that we're going to talk about this morning. Their names are Jacob and Esau. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of their story. And we're going to learn some principles as we go along the way about about how to recover from relational disaster. And I wanted to put it in a package that I knew we could remember. So I'm going to give you the titles of three retro songs. And even if you weren't around in the 50s and the 60s, you've probably heard these songs. And so here you go. The first part of their lives, we're going to call Love Hurts. Okay? Um, That was a song by the Everly Brothers. The second part of their lives, we're going to call I Can See Clearly Now. And that was a song by, I believe, uh, Johnny Nash. And then the third one is a Beatles song called We Can Work It Out. So there you go. That's the story of their lives. Let's go to to the very first one, and that's where we're going to find the first truth under love hurts. The first truth is this. Sometimes love leads to pain, frustration, and heartbreak. See, Jacob and Esau were, were born, they were twins born to a wealthy couple, a very wealthy couple, but right away at their birth, there was trouble on the horizon because the father, whose name was Isaac, decided that he really liked the older twin better than the younger twin. And he began to openly favor him. Well, you know what mom did then? We can't let this one go unloved. And so she began to openly favor the younger one. I'll bet that was a fun house to grow up in, don't you? Yeah, you got mom and dad pitted against each other. And by virtue of what they've chosen to do, they have pitted their boys against each other. And so now you have twins that instead of being drawn together, have become enemies. Now it's exacerbated by a tradition that their culture had. And that is that the oldest son in the family, according to their tradition, was automatically given twice as much of the inheritance as any other child. So just by virtue of the fact that Esau saw the light of day about three minutes before Jacob, somehow he gets twice as much from this wealthy couple who is their parents. Now combine that with the fact that Esau is a careless guy. He might have been the world's first redneck. Okay? He just kind of did whatever he felt like and he said whatever he felt like saying and gave little thought to the consequences of it. He was careless, but Jacob, the younger one, was a conniver. And Jacob made it his goal that somehow during their childhood and before their parents died, he would swindle his older brother out of that birthright. And sure enough, he did. Now, those boys were born into a home that was supposed to have love. But the truth was, love hurt. It did at every junction. You know how bad it got in that home? Take a look at this passage of Scripture. From that time on, after Jacob stole the birthright, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme 
He had never schemed before. He was the careless one, right? Now he began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's a serious relational disaster about to happen, right? There are four people in that family. You've got one son who's sitting around waiting for his father to die. Is that a good scene? No. But he's wanting his father to die so he can turn around and kill his brother. And furthermore, he actually doesn't care what his mother thinks because she didn't love him anyway. You know, love hurts. So what happens? Jacob decides, he's not dumb. I got to get out of here. I'm going to die if I stay here. So he packs up his stuff in the night and he leaves. And Jacob is gone for 15 years. Never sees his father, never sees his older brother, never has any contact that we know with his family. The truth is, sometimes love hurts. I also know that there are people sitting right here this morning who could share similar stories. Because the truth is, relational disaster in one form or another touches every single person who ever lives. Is that right? Yeah, that is true. You know what my prayer for you is and for me as we work our way through this teaching series? My prayer is that God will bring at least one relationship to the surface of our lives that he wants to bring relational healing to and that we will begin to work the principles that he's going to teach us in this series so that that relationship can fully heal in our lives. Because even though love hurts, there's more to it than that. The second segment of their life, we said, after love hurts, is that I can see clearly now. And that leads us to truth number two. And truth number two is this, looking back honestly. Now, if you look back just to see how you can blame somebody else, none of this promise is going to come true in your life. But if you look back honestly, it will lay the foundation for relational healing and it can help you prevent future relational disaster. Now, I said Jacob left the home and he did. He was gone 15 years and he was struggling. You know what? One question I'm sure went through his mind over and over again. What happened? This is not how life is supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be in a home. What went wrong? Well, two Christian counselors, they happen to be Christian marriage counselors, have written a book out of their experience, and the book is called Why Bad Things Happen to Good Marriages. Les and Leslie Parrott are their names, and they have sort of condensed out of their entire experience over many years of counseling the five most common reasons why good relationships go bad. And I want to touch on each of those just briefly because they're all really important. And the first reason why um, good relationships go bad is unrealistic expectations. We all are idealistic at the beginning of every relationship. I've, I've, I've married maybe 300 couples, lots in my life. I sit down with every one of them and we start to do premarital counseling and they all tell me the same thing. We are the perfect match. I've never had one say to me, I think we can make it. We're not really all that good for each other, but I think we can make it. 
No, no, we're the perfect match. Right? Somebody gets a car and they go, oh, man, this is, this is like the perfect car. We get a job, we think, man, this is going to be the best job I've ever had. Oh, my new boss. I just love my new boss. And then reality hits. Right? Now, listen to me carefully. When reality rises to the surface, if we don't readjust our expectations to fit reality instead of the idealism we started with, the relationship is going to go south in a hurry and it will end in relational disaster. The second reason why good relationships go bad is what's called um, the unrevealed self. And there's actually two, two aspects to this. When I enter into a relationship with another person, both of us are coming into that relationship with limited knowledge. And it's limited in two ways. The first is we have limited knowledge about ourselves because there is in all of our lives what we call the blind self. That's, have you ever heard the old statement, I was too close to the forest to see what? The trees. And the problem is you're too close to being you to actually see all of you. And there are things about you that you really struggle to see and probably can't see, but everyone else in your world can see that and go, I can tell you. (laughs) Right? Those are our blind spots. We all have them. And if we are not aware of what our blind spots are, and if we don't accept what people have to say about us as being real and true, then we will, we will end up becoming destructive in every relationship because of that unrevealed self that, that we don't choose to accept. But there's a flip side to this as well, and that is there's something about the other person that also we can't see, and that's called the hidden self. Because that person has things about their life that they choose not to reveal to us most often because they think if they do, we won't like them. It's not the best side of them. And they think we won't respect them or worse yet, we might not want to be their friend. So they choose not to reveal that to us. That's called the hidden self. So now you have a person with blind spots trying to relate to a person who's purposely hiding things. How do you think that's going to work? Now you can see where relational disaster comes. It comes from that unrevealed self. A third thing is this. Unskilled people. And I know that sounds judgmental. I don't mean it that way. But the truth is most of us are are, are deficient in some very important relational skills. If I took a poll this morning and I said, how many of you feel like you are skilled at confronting other people in love? Probably not too many hands would go, yeah, I'm good at that. You know, you know how most of us confront? We wait till the pressure builds and then we blow. Yeah. Friends, that's not a very good skill. Okay? We can do better than that. Most of us are not all that good at reading body language. Have you ever thought about how, how much easier it would be to relate to people if everyone had to wear a sign that told you how to relate to them? You walk into the office and, and, and there's a coworker that says, going to the dentist this afternoon, tread softly. Because that person's going to be on edge, Right? Of course, they're, they're telling you, okay, this is how you need to relate to me. And, and it would be funny what some of those signs would say, and I'll just let your imagination run with that for a little bit. But it would be an interesting world if we all had to wear a sign. It would have been fun to greet you this morning if you all had to wear a sign this morning that told me the truth about your life so that I would know how to greet you. But because you didn't wear a sign, I have to be able to look in your eyes. 
I have, I have to be able to read your body language so that I don't become insensitive to what you're going through. And the less skilled we are at those things, the more we foster relational disaster. Number four, unhealthy choices. The truth is, every one of us makes stupid choices periodically in life. In a moment of weakness, we betray the confidence of a friend. Does that bring hurt? Well, if they ever find out about it, it does. In a moment of weakness, we choose to have a relationship with someone that's not appropriate, that's inappropriate. In a moment of weakness, we choose to get drunk or use drugs. Unhealthy choices, friends, always damage some relationship somewhere. You can't make an unhealthy choice that doesn't hurt somebody. And last of all, unpredictable circumstances. A friend of mine tells a story. He had a fishing boat. He wanted to go down, he wanted to, go down to the lake. He didn't have a, 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 a car to take it down, a, a, a vehicle to tow it down there. So he borrowed the neighbor's vehicle. And he's, he wants to tow it down there at night so he can be fishing at the first light of dawn. And he's buzzing around the, the corner at about 55 or 60 miles an hour. And right in front of him is a horse in the middle of the road. No rider, no saddle, no one around, just a horse. It was an ugly scene. It was painful for him. It was painful for the horse. He totaled the car. It was an absolute disaster. You ever think about how many times you're going through life and there's a horse in the road that you didn't see? Yeah. It could be the loss of a job. It could be financial reversal. It could be the death of a child. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be a crippling illness. It could, it could be anything. It's just a horse in the road. And there's no way to miss it. And, and, and it's just unpredictable. And the pressure builds in somebody and the relationship doesn't survive. Yeah. Jacob and Esau, for them, it was that way. They had 15 years to look back. You know what happened in their lives? When Jacob took off, Esau thought, no skin off my back. Actually, he, he probably considered running after him and he thought, that's kind of stupid. If I stay right here, I get the whole thing. Right? Dude's leaving. He just thought he was getting twice as much as I'm getting. He's actually not going to get any of it. I've got it all. I've got dad to myself. I've got the whole family, uh, the whole family inheritance to myself. And so he just said, I'm going on with my life. I'm glad he's gone. And he went out and he got married and started having kids and, and, and so forth. And, and before he knows it, 15 years have gone by. And he thinks, life's good. Jacob, on the other hand, he does the same thing. He just says, okay, I'm starting over. So he goes several hundred miles away. He meets a lady, falls in love with her, gets a job working for, for her dad, ends up married to her. And, and he thinks, man, life is good. I start all over again. This is good. But you know, it didn't turn out that good for either one of them. Because sooner or later, they started looking back. And here's Esau, and he's thinking, my mom's died, and she did die, and my dad's getting old, and neither one of them likes my family, and they didn't. And pretty soon my dad's going to die, and I don't know where my brother is, and I'm going to be a man without a family. For the first time, he wonders, wonder what happened to Jacob. wonder how he's doing. And if you could have heard what was going on the inside of Esau, there was a little voice that said, you know, in my heart of hearts, 
I'd actually like to see him again. What about Jacob? He met and fell in love with this beautiful lady. But on the night of their marriage, he was lied to and deceived by his father-in-law. That's not a good place to begin, do you think? No. Jacob starts having children and the children don't get along and there's massive marital conflict in his home and the kids don't like each other and they've got sibling rivalry and he knows all about that and it's an absolute mess. Life is not that much fun at home. And on top of that, his father-in-law, over the course of 15 years, has cut his wages 10 times. And Jacob looks around and says, you know, that's not all that good. For the first time, he wonders, I wonder what things are like back at home. I wonder whatever became of Esau. And if you could have heard what was going on in his heart, he would have said secretly, I'd like to see him again. Well, that's when God chose to meet them. And take a look at what God said to Jacob. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. Wow. I wonder if God's giving you and me that same message. He's been working in your heart over a relationship that you know needs healing. And he's actually been working in that other person's heart. And God is saying to you through this very teaching series, I want you to go to that person. And what does God say? I will be what? With you. Yeah. And that leads us to number three. And the third uh, part is we can work it out. And here's the truth. Relational healing will take place if my heart is right. That's actually what took place in the life of Jacob and Esau when they got together. But let me give you a caveat. There's a big difference between relational healing and relational reconciliation. Here's the caveat. Take a look at it up here. Relational reconciliation isn't always possible because it requires the full cooperation from both parties. So I want you to hear me carefully. When I say relational healing will take place, it means that whether that person ever wants to reconcile with you or not, God is able to heal your heart so that that severed relationship no longer is a wound in your soul and spirit. Everybody on board with that? If your heart is right, God will bring relational healing, and then he may, if the other person's heart is right, bring uh, relational reconciliation. Here's a verse of Scripture that would be good. For us to look at. It's one of my favorites. It says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because there are times when you will not be able to reconcile because it's not possible because it doesn't depend on you, it depends on them. So, what happened to Jacob and Esau? Jacob got up and said, Okay, God says it's time to go, and I'm going to go back, and he's going to be with me. So he packs up his stuff and he heads off. And he sends a message to his brother Esau and said, I'm coming to meet you. He has no idea what Esau is going to, how he's going to respond. Esau is excited and he gets up and he puts some stuff together and he starts, he starts driving to meet, to meet Jacob and they meet somewhere halfway between where Jacob had been living and where Esau lived. Let me read you this verse. They have this tearful reunion and here's what happens. Jacob says, Esau, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. 
that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, Hey, let's be on our way. I will accompany you. Wouldn't it be great if every relational disaster ended like that? That would be great. As I said before, that's not always possible. But relational healing did take place. As we draw it to a close, let me tell you four things you have to bring to the table in order for this to happen. The first is you have to bring humility. Because until you're humble, you'll be blind to your part and why the relationship fell apart and you'll never see it. Okay? Secondly, you've got to bring forgiveness to the table. Because unless there's forgiveness, there will never be healing and reconciliation. You have to be willing to bring it to the table and to give it to that other person. And yes, maybe even give it to yourself if you need to. Number three, you've got to bring openness. Because the truth is, until you learn new skills, you're just going to do in the future what you did in the past and you get the same results. By the way, that's the purpose of this entire teaching series is so that you and I can add relational skills to our tool belt. So I want to encourage you to come every single time. I'm going to be here every single time, even though I'm not going to be giving the teaching every time. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be learning because I want to add skills to my relational tool belt. And then number four, you have to bring love to the table. I want you to hear this clearly. Until your desire to love exceeds your desire to be right or to get your own way, you'll never have relational healing. Your desire to love has to be greater than either one of those. If you bring those four things to the table, even if that other person doesn't reconcile with you, you will experience relational healing. God will make that happen in your life. As we close, and invite the worship team to come up, they're going to sing a song that has a wonderful message and a wonderful challenge. But you have some business, and I have some business to do with God. If you look on the back side that says Connect Card, down at the, up at the portion, uh, just about a third of the way down, that says, I-, I want to apply today's teaching by, there are four options there. And the first one is, I've identified a relationship in my life that needs healing. I pray that God will enable every one of us to identify one of those. So we have something to work on. Number two, I will come every week to this teaching. I just explained why that needs to be on our agenda. Number three, I will work on my heart this week. I have a suggested way to do that. You know those four things, um, humility and openness and forgiveness and, and love? Tomorrow, focus on one of those in prayer and say, God, help me to be humble so I can fully see everything that I did that may have contributed to this. And then on Tuesday... Pray that God would grant you forgiveness and the ability to forgive. And then on Wednesday, you get the idea. Pray through those things. So I will work on my heart this week. And then number four, can I tell you that the greatest relational healing in the world takes place in the context of a church? It's where we get rightly related with God, and he teaches us how to be rightly related to each other. And one of the greatest things you can do is get into the flow of the church. So how do you get into the flow of what God's doing at New Life? Through a class called Entry Point. That would be a good place to enter, don't you think? That's how you get in the flow. And we have, uh, that's a two-part class. We teach it on Sunday mornings at the 11 o'clock hour. 
So you can come. If you got kids, you check them into kids' life in the construction zone. And instead of coming in here, you go in the classroom off the back side of the lobby. And it's a great class that gives you the basic fundamentals about Christianity. And it teaches you a lot about new life and how God works through new life to do things like relational healing. So if you want to enroll in that, it's coming up October the 2nd and October the 9th. And uh, so if you check that box, we'll get in touch with you this week. So I'm going to turn it over to the worship band, but I want you to take the time, listen to what they, what they are saying and singing, because it's a great challenge. But while they're doing that, you take the time to do your business with God on those cards. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.